Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's opened up to Galatians, the sixth chapter. I'll encourage you to be finding Galatians, the sixth chapter, in your Bible as well. I'm going to read a really important verse there in just a moment that will really undergird everything that we're going to be talking about for these next few minutes. So let's be ready to do that together in Galatians, the sixth chapter. As you're turning there, let me just echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this Lord's Day morning. We do have uh, a number of guests, and we are very appreciative of the fact that you're here and that you are participating in these uh, activities, these spiritual activities, these worshipful things that we are engaged in. I want you to know that I am encouraged by you, whether you're visiting or whether you're a member here. And I hope, of course, over the next few minutes that I'll be able to say some things that will be encouraging to you as well as we work together in the Scriptures. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, read with me in verse number nine. There the apostle Paul says this in Galatians six and in verse nine. Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. On August the sixth, 1930, 45 year old Joseph Crater ate dinner with some friends at a restaurant in New York City. After dinner was over, Joseph left the company of his friends. He was never seen or heard from ever again. His case became very, very famous. He was known as the missingest man in New York City. And he was very well known because he served as a state Supreme Court justice. And as such, there was, of course, a massive investigation that went along with that. There were rumors that circulated of possible corruption, maybe an assassination, maybe kidnapping, and so many other ideas were floated around. But the only clue that was left behind that might possibly explain his disappearance was a little note that he left for his wife attached to a wad of money. And the note simply said this, I am very weary. Love, Joe. I am very weary. No one knows what happened to Joseph Crater. However, based on that note that he left behind, most people tend to believe that he simply, that he simply just walked away. He walked away from his very busy, very demanding, very stress-filled life as a judge, and then went and just started over somewhere else. I am very weary, he said. I wonder how many Christians can maybe relate to the sentiment Behind that note that Joseph Crater left behind. Maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself that you managed to get here. You were able to get out of bed and get dressed and have enough wherewithal to get to this building. But maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I kind of feel like that. I'm worn out. I'm just weary. Now, there may be lots of reasons as to why you are weary and why you are tired. Maybe, maybe that's because you stayed up all night binge-watching episodes of The Office on Netflix. Maybe if you're a young person, maybe you've been playing Fortnite way too long past your bedtime. Maybe you're worn out because you have a small baby that doesn't quite understand that 4 a.m. is not really supper time. Maybe you're worn out because you've worked a lot of hours in the past week and that's just got you down. I need you to know this morning that that's actually not the kind of weariness that I'm talking about. And in fact, that's not the kind of weariness that our opening text is talking about. In Galatians, the sixth chapter in verse nine, Paul talks there about being weary in well doing. He's talking about a weariness that comes from doing good and doing right. What Paul's talking about here is he's talking about what I'm going to call 
spiritual fatigue, an exhaustion and a weariness that comes with serving the Lord. I'm tired, for example. I'm tired of being ridiculed and persecuted for doing what's right. I'm worn out from all of the responsibilities that come along with being a Christian. I'm exhausted from praying and waiting and praying and waiting and nothing ever really seems to change. I'm fatigued from always trying to put my best foot forward only to mess up a couple of steps later. I'm tired. and In fact, on top of all that, I'm just tired of being tired. There are many reasons that a Christian can become weary in well-doing. And that weariness can have all kinds of effects. It can cause us to be ineffective in the kingdom at best. Or maybe that weariness can maybe reach a point where it causes us to want to give up and to just quit, which would be really the worst case scenario. And that's why this morning I think it's important for us to just talk a little bit about fighting through that kind of spiritual fatigue. You know, we begin the Christian life usually full of, full of zeal and, and vigor and life and vitality. We come out of the waters of baptism with all kinds of excitement and, and fire and fervor, but pretty quickly we learn that, that that's pretty hard to sustain. We come to realize that Christianity is not just this 50-yard dash. No, rather, rather it's a marathon. It's a long race. And of course, in running a marathon, people usually don't quit at mile two, do they? No, people tend to quit in the marathon at mile 15, or mile 20, or mile 25, when the fatigue really starts to set in and suddenly the finish line just seems too, just seems too far away. Could that be you this morning? And even if that's not you this morning, could that ever possibly be you? If so, then this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you four helps for recharging that spiritual battery. Four things just right out of the Word of God that'll help you and it'll help me to persevere whenever we find ourselves weary in well-doing. Number one, let me suggest to you this is absolutely where this has to begin. That if your spiritual battery is drained, then you need to start... You need to start by finding Jesus again. You need to get re-centered and refocused on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're still in Galatians chapter 6, would you just drop down a little bit? Look in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul goes on to say this. He says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You want to talk about a guy who could claim spiritual fatigue? Paul would have been that guy. If anybody could have ever said, I am weary in well-doing, it would have been Paul. Think about it. This guy is everywhere, doing everything for the kingdom of God. He's planting and establishing churches all over the known world. He's preaching and teaching to folks. He's writing all kinds of epistles and letters of encouragement and letters that we still read today. On top of that, many times as he was doing that work, he was opposed. It's not like everybody was clapping at all. Paul, you're doing a great job. No. Many times he was opposed. False teachers. People with stones throwing rocks at him. Chaining him and putting him into prison. And yet, despite all of that, Paul just keeps chugging along. How in the world was Paul able to do that? 
Well, Paul tells us right here in this verse. He says it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That in the ups and in the downs and over that long haul, Paul maintained a tight focus on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says that, that is why we do what we do. That is why I do what I do. And I think we understand about that whenever we first become Christians, right? We get that. We get that. Man, it's all about Jesus in the beginning. We learn about Jesus. We come to understand what it is that He did for us. How God sent Him to this earth. How He died for our sins. And we're impacted by that. And that causes us to love Jesus. And because of the great love that we then have for Him, what do we want to do? We want to obey Jesus. And so we obey Him in the waters of baptism. And we try to follow Him and to please Him and to be a, be a disciple that He can be proud of and be glad and call His very own. It's all about Jesus in the beginning. But then over time, over time what happens is, is we just kind of start to lose focus of that. That gets a little bit blurred in our minds. Yes, we're still living the Christian life. Yes, we're still doing all the things that we're supposed to do as the children of God. And yes, we're even doing a lot of stuff in the Christian life. But somewhere along the way, we just we just kind of forget why it is that we're doing all of that stuff. We're really busy doing all kinds of things, but we don't always know why we're doing all of that. And after a while, I must tell you that after you do lots and lots of religious activity without really knowing why you're doing that, remembering that this is about Jesus, what happens is that you get to a point where you're worn out and you really can't seem to find the motivation to continue on doing that. I'm reminded of a story about three guys who were working on a construction site. And a fellow walked by and he said, Hey, what are you guys doing here? What are you building? And the first guy replied and said, I'm laying brick. And the second guy replied by saying, I'm putting up drywall. And the third guy replied by saying, We're building a cathedral. Let me ask you, which of those three guys do you think is focused on the right thing that's going to be able to sustain him to continue that work all the way to its completion? Probably going to be that third guy. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that we can overcome spiritual fatigue by focusing our minds on the right thing. We've got to get it back on the Lord Jesus Christ. That I need to be reminded that all of this stuff that I'm doing as a Christian, it's all designed to keep me connected to Jesus. That the reason we come to worship is not so we can get a gold star for perfect attendance. The reason that we try to talk to people about the gospel and share things with them about the Bible is not so we can bring them in here and build Lakeside up into some amazing institution. The reason that we do our daily Bible reading is not so we can check a bunch of boxes and we can pat ourselves on the back at the end of the year. No, we do those things because we want to be connected to Jesus. We want to glorify Jesus. We want to strengthen our relationship to Jesus. We want to demonstrate our love for Jesus. And so the answer to spiritual fatigue is not do less. Paul does not say in Galatians 6 verse 9 that if you're weary and well-doing, you need to just cut back. Just do less. Pray a little less. Study the Bible a little less. Visit the sick folks a little less often. Be involved in the local church a little less than you are. Take a break. No! 
Paul says that the answer is we need to rediscover the heart that drove us to Jesus and drove us to do these things in the first place. And that's a desire to please the one who died for me. The fight against spiritual fatigue, it all begins when we find Jesus again. And as we're doing that, then hopefully that's going to very naturally lead to this second idea. And that is, we need to get recommitted to real worship. Now, I talked about worship and faithfulness in worship last Sunday morning, and I do want to try to build off of those ideas, and I want to try to do that without re-preaching that particular sermon. But I must tell you that it is of interest to me that the people who are often falling apart spiritually, the people who are on the brink of just giving up and cashing in, people who are on the brink of maybe pulling a Joseph Crater, are often the people who miss worship services the very most. In fact, the whole church thing, getting up on Sunday morning, coming back on Sunday night, driving over here again on Wednesday night, it's just, it's just exhausting. It's just wearing them out. Have you ever even thought to yourself, boy, I'll tell you what, this Christianity thing would be a cinch if I didn't have to go to church all the time. Well, would you look with me in the Psalms, please? Look in Psalm 42. In Psalm the 42nd chapter, we, we actually have a song in our song book that's uh, kind of taken from the first two verses of this particular psalm. But I wonder how many of us actually know the context to this beautiful hymn. In Psalm chapter 42, look in verses 1 and 2. In Psalm 42 verse 1, the writer says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This psalm was written by, are you ready for this? This psalm was written by a man who can't go to church. That might be shocking to us. He's all upset that he can't go to church. That's exactly right. Now, we don't know exactly all the particulars of that as to why he's unable to get there to worship. But it is clear from his words, this man desperately wants to go and to be with the people of God and to worship the Lord. But he just can't get there. Verse 4 goes on to say, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and I would lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He says, I used to go. I have great memories of getting to go, but, but I can't go this time. And it's killing him. It is, it's just killing him. It's eating him up. I want you to notice that this guy, when he realizes that he can't go to worship, he does not say, Woohoo! I've got a legitimate excuse not to go to church today. I'm sleeping in. That's not what he says. For this guy going to worship, it's not a negative. It's not a drag in his life. It's not something that he just dreads doing and he's always looking for an opportunity to get out of it. No, for this guy going to worship, that's a positive. He sees that as a building up sort of thing. He wants to do that. And why? Because worship is meaningful. Worship is significant. Worship is powerful. And all of that happens whenever worship is predicated on point number one, when it's all about pleasing and having the focus on the Lord. Worship is not a chore. Worship is a delight. Just stop and think for a moment about think about what all goes on in worship. Think about what all we're going to do this morning and what we have done. When we come together, we sing songs and hymns that 
that praise and adore God. And on top of that, those very same songs, they encourage us. They build us up and they admonish us. We teach one another. Not only that, but when we come together, we, we bow our hearts and our minds before the throne of God. And together we all bring our concerns and our thanksgivings and our petitions and we lay them down at the feet of the Lord. We open up the Word of God when we come together. And as it is being proclaimed, as it is being expounded upon and being taught, we are then provoked to a greater sense of service and devotion to the Lord. We gather around this table. We are reminded of the single greatest sacrifice, the single greatest act of love that this world has ever known. And yes, we open up our hearts. And by God's privilege and by God's blessings, we are able to then contribute back to the work and the upbuilding of the kingdom. Let me ask you, as you think about all of that worshipful stuff, is all of that to you just kind of a routine? Alright, I know how it's going to go this morning. Announcements, two songs, prayer, another song, preaching, Lord's... Is is that how that is to you? That this is just all a series of tasks that we have to complete. The Lord said we have to do them, so we've got to make sure we come in on Sunday and check all those things off. Is that all this is to you? If it is, then brother or sister, you really need to go back to the drawing board. Because worship is not designed to be this big bind on your time that just sucks the life and energy out of you and just drains your battery. Worship is designed to be a rejuvenator. It should stir within us some powerful and godly emotions, the kind of things that then fill us up so that we're ready to then serve God for another seven days. Honestly now, who can come around this table and think about the crucifixion of Jesus and not be moved by that in some way? Who can sing those songs that we've sung this morning? Who can sing songs that have words like, Stand up! Stand up for Jesus! And not be moved and spurred on to to something! Some kind of action! Who can hear the Word of God? And it prick and pierce our hearts and then then nothing comes of that. Or who can hear the fervent prayers that are offered in this place? Where a brother gets up, and our men do a great job of this, getting up and they pray specifically by name. For people who are members of this family. People that we are concerned about. And when we hear that prayer and when we're done with that, who can get done with that and not just feel a greater sense of closeness as we've all been brought before God's throne in that prayer? You know, maybe the reason that we are so spiritually fatigued is because we're just kind of sleepwalking through worship like a zombie. We're not really in it. If that is the case, what we need to do is we need to wake up We need to wake up and be reminded. Get recommitted to worshiping God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Because when we do that, it will provide us with the energy that we need to keep going strong. It will be like that water that the deer desperately pants for that gives it nourishment. Which brings me to this third idea this morning for combating spiritual weariness. Because as we talk about the church, certainly one of the benefits of the church is we're able to come together and we're able to worship and there's, there's great things to be gained from that. But not only to get that privilege, but thirdly, the church also gets us the opportunity to make ourselves accountable to one another. Now, let me draw your attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm going to give you a moment to be finding 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I want to notice something here in the life of King Uzziah. As you're turning there, let me just say something about our form of government here in the United States. 
Our form of government here in the United States of America is a democracy, and it is designed to be a system of checks and balances. There are three important branches in our government. There's the legislative branch, there's the executive branch, and there's the judicial branch. And the way that's designed, the way it's set up to work, is that each of those branches keeps check on the other. Keeps all of those things in line. Keeps Make sure that these people over here don't get out of control and make sure that these over here stay in line. That things just don't go haywire and go bonkers. And we understand about that and I think generally we value that. That system of checks and balances, one keeping check on the other, we say, man, that's a, that's a good thing in government. However, I have noticed that when it comes to individuals on a person-to-person basis, the idea of one person helping to provide some checks and balances for another person yeah, people today generally, they don't seem to care for that all that much. You know, who are you to come to me and tell me that I'm doing wrong? Hey, it's none of your business to come and ask me questions about my personal life. Or hey, how dare you confront me and put me on the spot like that? By and large, people today, they don't care for that idea of accountability. The idea of having somebody come to you and try to keep you in check. People don't like that in the world. And unfortunately, sometimes that is true even amongst the people of God. Do you have 2 Chronicles 26 opened? Look what's said there about King Uzziah. Look in verse 16. In 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16, that when King Uzziah was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Well, what did he do? Verse 16 goes on to say, He entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What? The king can't do that. That's not his place. That's for the priest to do. Only the priest can go in and offer incense on the altar of incense. Uzziah, what are you doing? Somebody needs to say something. Well, somebody does say something. Verse 17. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and they said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priest, it's for the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. You need to go out of the sanctuary for you've done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then King Uzziah got angry. These men called Uzziah into account and Uzziah did not say, what was I thinking? I I don't know what was going on through my... You know what, guys? Thank you. Thank you for telling me where I had messed up there. I just got carried away. I just kind of got full of myself there. I'm so glad that somebody was there to keep me in check. That's not what he says. The text says he got angry. One translation says he was furious. It's none of your business, Azariah. It's none of your business, you other 80 priests. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. You just mind your own business. Can I just ask you this morning, if you are spiritually weary, if you are showing signs of weakness and fatigue, if you have maybe even entertained the thought of just throwing in the towel and just giving up on this Christianity thing altogether, can I ask, who have you made yourself accountable to? Anybody? Have you let any other person know about that struggle? Who have you given permission to, to come and to say to you, hey, I'm noticing some things in your life that that really have me concerned here. Hey, your attendance patterns are are really spotty. 
Or, you know, I've been seeing some things posted on your Facebook that are really troubling to me. Or I've been noticing you've been hanging around these certain people that I'm not really sure that they're the greatest influence for you. Or, you know, hey, brother, or hey, sister, you know, just the, just the look on your face, just your body language just seems to just show that you don't have, don't have a whole lot of joy, don't have a whole lot of, a whole lot of skip in your step and in your Christian walk. I'm concerned about you, brother. I'm worried about you, sister. Let me ask you, number one, do you have someone like that? And then number two, if you do, are you listening to those people? Or is it possible that you do just like Uzziah did? You push those people away. Hey, none of your business. Stay out of my business. Don't be asking me about my personal life. All of us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, all of us have blind spots. All of us have areas in our life where we need somebody else who can stand outside of us And they can maybe point the finger or they can shine a spotlight on an area of our life that that we can't see. Maybe we're just too close to it and we can't see it ourselves. We need people who would come and tell us the truth even when it's hard truth. And by that same token, we need people that we can go to. People that we can talk to when we're struggling. People that we can be transparent with and honest with and real with. People that we can do that James 5.16 thing with. Where we can confess our faults one to another. We can pray for one another so that we can be healed. We do need others in combating spiritual fatigue. Christianity most certainly is a race. It is a marathon. And you think about it in a marathon, there's all those people who line the streets and they line the course on every side. And what are those people on the sides doing during the race? They're cheering you on. They're clapping and they're offering cups of cold water and they're saying, you can do it, come on, I know you're going to make it. We need those kinds of people in our life so that we can complete the race together. We need folks who will help us to push on through that fatigue so that we can reach the finish line. Which leads directly into this final help this morning for fighting spiritual fatigue. And that is that we do need to think very soberly about the cost of giving up. Since we're talking about races, let's uh let's run a little race, shall we? Anybody up for a race? Let's run from here at the church building. Let's run from here to Luke and Daphne's house. By my count, Luke and Daphne live about 13 miles or so from the church building, which would make this about a half marathon. Everybody wants to see baby Thatcher, so we're all going to run over there and we're going to get to see the baby in person. Now, don't worry, as we run this half marathon, we're not going to do it today. It's raining and it's cold and I'm wearing a tie. This isn't really the kind of a tire that you need for running a race. So we're going to take ourselves a couple of months. We're all going to train and, and eat right and get ourselves built up so that we can be ready to run this race. Now, some of you are thinking, Josh, I don't want to run this race. Running is stupid. I don't like to do that. I'm not interested in that. Well, what if I told you that on race day, everyone who finishes the race, it's not just who comes in first, but everybody who crosses the finish line is going to receive $1 million in cash. How about now? There are people right now in this room who could not run from here to the end of the parking lot to save their life, but the thought... Getting a million dollars for finishing a race like that, I'm getting ready. Hey, where's my Nikes? I want to train for that. And again, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter how you cross that finish line. You can run across it, you can skip across it, you can crawl across it, you can walk across it. Doesn't matter how long it takes you, all you have to do is finish 
And you'll get a prize of one million dollars. We're running, ain't we? I'm running, I know that. Well, what about this? What if you get tired along the way? What are you going to do then? You going to quit? Absolutely not. I'm going to keep on running. What if you get, what if you get a stitch in your side? I hate it when I get a stitch in my side. What if you get a stitch in your side? Going to quit then? Nope. Going to push through, going to keep on running. What if you get bumped into by another runner and you fall down and scrape your knee up and there's blood everywhere? You going to get up then? Nope. Going to keep on running. Why? Because we're thinking about that prize. There's a million dollars to be had. I'm thinking about what it'll be like and what I can do with one million dollars. We're maybe thinking as well about how disappointed we would be if we were to give up. And then maybe years from now, maybe we find ourselves in a financial difficulty and we realize, oh man, if I just finished that race, I would have had a million dollars and I could have got myself out of this mess. We would run. That prize would push us to keep on running. Can you hold that thought now and look in Hebrews, the 12th chapter? In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the writer here talks about running. And he even talks about this idea of running a race. It's not a physical race, it's a spiritual race. But there is most definitely a prize waiting at the end. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people cheering us on, you can do it, you can do it. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That passage tells us that we need to run the Christian race and we need to run it all the way to the finish line, which means we need to think long and hard about the enormous cost of quitting. What does it mean if we were to give in to spiritual fatigue? I'm too tired. I just can't do this anymore. I give up. What would that mean? What would that mean if you stopped running? Well, it would mean you're going to miss the prize. You're going to miss out on the ultimate prize of being with Jesus. Heaven, that's the ultimate prize here. Let's not tell ourselves things like, Oh, God will certainly understand. He knows my circumstances. He knows what I was going through. God will maybe look back at that first part of my life and the first part of the race when I was running really hard. I was was really devoted to Him, but... Yeah, maybe on the last half I kind of petered out a little bit and maybe I didn't really stick with it there. But God's going God's to take care of me. God's going to kind of grade on a curve. No. We know better than that. We know that you've got to run all the way to the finish line in order to get the prize. Run with endurance, the Hebrew writer says. And maybe now to just kind of amp up my illustration from a couple of moments ago, what if we're running in that 13-mile half marathon race, but what if along the way somebody quits... And the penalty for quitting the race is that you get taken out and you get shot. That's right. You quit the race, you get killed, you die. Who's quitting now? I'm not quitting. I don't care how tired I get. I can have 50 stitches in my side. I'm going to keep on running because I don't want to die. You know what? That illustration works in the spiritual realm as well. Because what's the cost of giving up in this spiritual race? The cost is death. You die. Spiritually, you die. Eternal destruction. Eternal separation away from God. 
Somebody maybe right now is thinking, you know what, I don't care if they do offer a million dollar prize. I'm not participating in any race where if you quit, you die. Well, sorry, but you already are. You are already involved in a race where if you quit, you will die. And all of us are participating in that race right now. We are all racing toward eternity. And at the finish line, our author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, He awaits. And He awaits there, hand outstretched with the greatest prize ever. A prize that will make a million dollars look like a drop in a bucket. Or the alternative is that we can quit. and We can know the pain. And we can know the sorrow of giving up. And we can know that in a way that really just defies all human imagination. Because words really can't begin to even describe the suffering and the torture of being eternally separated from our God. But make no mistake, all of us are in that race right now. And so when we get tired, when we get weary, when we're feeling fatigued and we feel like we're maybe even thinking about the idea of possibly giving up, we need to think about that pride that awaits us at the end. We need to think about very soberly about the enormous cost of giving up. Now, I don't know what happened to Supreme Court Justice Joseph Crater. Don't know. Nobody actually knows what happened to him or what actually was going on there. I don't know why he was so weary. I don't know why he made the decision to give up on his his life and his work and his family. But I know this. I know that if you are slumping spiritually right now, I know that if you will get yourself recentered and refocused on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, if you will recommit yourself to real, genuine, heartfelt worship, if you will make yourself accountable to your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and if you will think about the high cost of giving up versus the wonderful prize that awaits the faithful, And what will happen is, brother or sister, is you will find new strength. You will find new courage. And you will find new levels of perseverance that will carry you through all the way to the finish line, no matter how tired you may get. Because the promise of Galatians 6 verse 9 is what? The promise of Galatians 6 verse 9 is that if you do not give up in due season, you will reap. And so in just a moment... We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And it may very well be that there is somebody sitting in this assembly this morning who is, you're tired. You could write that very same note that Joseph Crater wrote. I am weary. And maybe what would really be of most help for you right now is for you to come before your brothers and sisters and to say, brethren, I'm weak and I'm weary and I'm worn out and I need you to pick me up. I need your help, I need your encouragement, and I need your prayers. And if that is your situation this morning, then we are encouraging you to come forward and to make those desires known and let us help you and let us help to bear that burden with you. If you're not a Christian, and maybe you're even a little bit intimidated by all this talk about running the race, you need to know this morning that we don't run in our own strength. We run in the strength of the Lord. And the good news is, is you have the opportunity to start running in the strength of the Lord as well. You can get into Christ this morning by confessing Jesus as God's Son and by being buried with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. You can become one of God's children. 
You can start running right alongside the rest of us. We'll help you. You help us so that we can all cross the finish line. And even when you get fatigued or I get fatigued, we're going to help pick each other up and we're going to keep on running so that we can all go to heaven someday. Don't you want that? I know that I sure do. If there's anybody here this morning who needs help in getting in that direction, then take advantage of this moment and this opportunity right now by coming to the front. Do that while we stand and while we sing.